Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. Hi everybody, hi everybody, and welcome to a special Christmas episode of Carnivorous Couch, where we did the 1990 movie, uh, Home Alone. This is the theme that you're hearing in the background, which is, of course, sounds a lot like, uh, this is Halloween from A Nightmare Before Christmas, which came out later, Brady? 93. Much later. 93, three years later. Uh, maybe a little less than three years later because this obviously came out in December. This is Carnivorous Couch, a film a week from Two Film Geeks, where I feel like we should do a roll call this week and uh, make sure that we have everybody here. I am Rob, and we also have... Tess. And... Uh, Brady. And... Grandy. Grandy. Ah, yes. Wait. We forgot Kevin! Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Uh, let's get moving right along, right along to the uh, to the plot synopsis, which I believe Brady is going to do. I expect that. Yes. Uh, welcome. Be of good cheer. So the plot synopsis: We start at a very upper class Chicago home, a mansion, you could say, because it really is a mansion. And a police officer, played by Joe Pesci, is standing in the foyer, watching madness ensue. Children and parents are running up and down the stairs, in and out of hallways, through doors, and he's just trying to get a word with whoever the homeowner is. And all this chaos is going on, and so we're meeting this family, and we meet our protagonist, young Kevin McAllister, an eight-year-old boy who has a bit of an attitude, but also has that feeling that uh, many kids have, which I think is why this movie connects a lot with children, as it did with us during our childhood. And he has this kind of feeling that the world is against him, that Every adult and all of his siblings and cousins are just kind of trying to give him a hard time. And he just, uh, yeah, kind of is struggling with that feeling of being weighed on by the world that kids feel. And so eventually the policeman gets to talk with the father, played by Sopranos John Hurd. And he's trying to figure out, you know, if they're going to be away, if they're going away for the holiday. And he's doing it under the guise of, well, if you are... We want you to take the proper precautions to uh, prevent burglaries because there's been a lot. At the same time, the pizza delivery boy arrives and he's waiting around for what feels like forever just waiting to get paid because we're watching all this chaos unfold. The family's about to go to Paris to visit relatives, I believe, uh, for the holidays and they're leaving in the morning. And what happens is before we cut to that morning, Kevin gets in trouble by uh, fighting his brother and knocking over a bunch of soft drinks and milk. And he gets sent to his room early, and he's so mad that he tells his mother, well, I wish that I'd never see you guys again. I wish I could make you disappear. Interesting tangent. The whole chaos in the house, the big house, beginning of the scene thing, is very Wes Anderson-y. Uh, yeah, a little anyway. bit. Yeah. It's not uh, shot that way, and it's not pro- projected that way, but just, just the theme of it. Or the even chaos, David the craziness. It's, yeah, yeah. Anyway, go on. Um, okay, so the next morning, uh, they wake up. Kevin's been asleep in the attic. And they're hectically trying to get to the airport on time because they have a flight at 8 a.m. And so what happens in the chaos, uh, what we see a lot of in this house is just that it's always pure chaos with all these people. And they've got the shuttles lined up, and a neighbor boy shows up and starts harassing 
you know, bugging the shuttle drivers, wanting to know, like, oh, where are you going? Like, how does this work? And because he's there, there's confusion in the head count. When one of the cousins performs the head count, they think they count Kevin, but they really count the neighbor boy by mistake, and so they take off for the airport. And it's not till very much later when they're in the middle of the air that the mother, played by Catherine O'Hara, wonderful actress, Catherine yeah, Wonderfully played this movie, by the way. Yeah. She's Feels Sally. like she's the only person really acting. Uh, yeah. Uh, she, no, she probably is the best actor of any of them. Well, maybe Joe Pesci. Uh, anyway, mm. let's uh, see. So then uh, Kevin wakes up, and he's walking around the house trying to figure out where his family went. And after a while, he realizes, like, oh, my God, the cosmos have granted my wish. I made my family disappear. This is great. And so we get a lot of montages of him running around the house, including whenever he gets to this point at the top of the stairs, he always looks directly in the camera and screams. <laughs> so I think this rich-ass house has a portal where you can look at the audience that is viewing the movie of your life and yell at them. And boy, does this movie love to watch Kevin yell. Because, uh, yeah, he, that's a screamy child. Which is why the most famous line in the movie is... Ready? On three. One, two, three. Ah! So anyway, <laughs> but what the movie's going after a little bit and what Kevin soon learns is there's also responsibility to be being left home alone. And it's kind of the story of Kevin starting to realize that he has to take care of himself. He can't hold on to as many of his childish fears. You know, there's a subplot of him being afraid of the furnace in his basement. And eventually he learns to kind of grow up and deal with that. He learns to go shopping, even though the first time he goes, he accidentally steals a toothbrush. And why does he accidentally steal a toothbrush? Because he's afraid of old man Marley, the kindly looking old man with a short Looks coat. a lot like Goofy, has yeah, some rattling chains. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, but his brother Buzz feeds him the story that he actually killed his entire family and that even when he's generously salting the streets, there's actually dead limbs, dead bodies in the salt that he uses to preserve his victims. Which, why would you want to do that? Well, I think it's just that he ground them up with salt, so it's just, you know, that's how they... How no, he but he says it turns them into mummies. Oh. Mummies. Well, I mean, I don't really know how that logistically works, but uh, theoretically it does. We just gotta suspend our disbelief for the movie, right? Oh, yeah. Especially because the man doesn't actually have bodies in his salt can. Um, and then <laughs> another thing that happens is uh, in order to get money to shop and take care of himself, he's got to steal from his brother's life savings. In the process of going up on a shelf to get them, he accidentally knocks everything over and lets his brother's terrarium with his pet tarantula break. So the tarantula is now loose and roaming the house. And, and also the big thing that's going on is that policeman, played by Joe Pesci, isn't really a policeman. He is a burglar. Uh, he's working with his partner, played by Daniel Stern. Uh, the burglars named Marvin Harry, and uh, they are working on casing all the houses in the area because Pesci's cop act has been to figure out which families are taking off for the holidays, and so uh, they are kind of trying to figure out if these people left for Paris. And Kevin, through his wily wits, is able to put them off for a few days, make them think that people are home in the house with uh, some really uh, nice, funny set pieces. At one point, he gets all the mannequins that are apparently in his attic and uses them to create silhouettes while he plays Christmas music, so it looks like there's a Christmas party going on in his house. Uh, uh, but eventually, it all comes to a head, and the burglars do figure out that Kevin is home alone, and they plan to rob the house that night. 
And this is where, you know, the most famous falling, well, not falling action, even though it's action with a lot of falling, uh, happens, uh, where they try to invade the house. Uh, but first, Kevin has a nice reconciliation with old man Marley, where he figures out he's not an evil murderer. He's actually just a lonely old man who hasn't talked to his son in years and wants to have a relationship with his granddaughter. As it stands, he's only able to see her when she sings in the choir in church. And are we recording? Okay. So he has a, a reconciliation about that. And that's kind of, you know, the movie's about Kevin learning to become an adult himself and learning there are some adults you can trust and some you can. And it's kind of just this little mini coming of age thing. And so then after learning that old man Marley doesn't want to eat his face, he goes home <laughs> to protect his home. But first, to eat his delicious mac and cheese dinner. God bless it and the people who sold it on sale. But it is not to be. As soon as he goes to take a bite, the clock chimes, and it's time to go to war. And this is what the film is most known for, uh, the 20 minutes of wacky hijinks where Kevin booby traps the house, and we watch Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci suffer brutal torments in Really, really, really gruesome, brutal torments yeah. that, like, now isn't it like when you watch it as a kid, it's just like, ha, ha, daddy hurt him. So, you know, it's the kind of thing when you see your dad smash his thumb with a hammer. But, like, in this, you're just actually being an adult, you're like, that hurts. I'm not <laughs> desensitized <laughs> to it like cartoons desensitized me when I was a kid. Like, even down to the detail that I'm feeling bad when Pesci burns his hand and then falls on the step, like, oh, get to the snow, get to the snow. Yeah. Oh, come on, come on, get in <laughs> Oh, my biscuits are burning. Oh, tarnation. So, um, so uh, we, you know, we have that old set piece, and uh, they suffer brutal torments. Mm -hmm. uh, and you do feel bad, especially because Daniel Stern is such a nice guy. I have, I want more Daniel Stern, actually. Uh, the last time I saw him was in uh, 2009's Whip It the Drew Barrymore-directed roller derby movie with Ellen Page, and he uh, played the father and actually did a nice job. But anyway, uh, eventually they catch him, and they hang him up on a clothes hook, and Joe Pesci... I, I'm curious. If I could ask a movie character a question, I would ask Pesci, were you really going to eat Macaulay Culkin's fingers? Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not sure what the end game to that was. Like He couldn't give anything up. He was going for it. Yeah, I think he was just like, yeah, I'm going to eat, nah. eat some fingers. Well, you were going to eat the fingers too, Marv. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I thought Marv was him and Harry was the dumb one. No, Harry's Joe Pesci. Oh, okay. Um, but old man Marley saves him, finally uses that snow shovel for something resembling the purpose Buzz alleged it was for, knocks the burglars out, and uh, the wet bandits... So named because Marv insists on flooding the basement of every house he robs. The wet bandits are sent to jail. And uh, Kevin uh, pretty much is happy, except he has not gotten his wish for his family to come home yet. And uh, when he wakes in the morning, they're still not there. But uh, then Catherine O'Hara, who in her own uh, charming B-plot has been making her way home from Paris, eventually has had to hitchhike with John Candy and a group of polka musicians. Uh, in a budget van, uh, eventually gets home just in time for Kevin waking up, and they have a fond reconciliation. And what do you know? The rest of the family gets there a minute later uh, because they waited for the next flight, and everything's happy, and Kevin looks out the window as old man Marley reconciles with his son, and it's Christmas, and it's snowing, 
And sure, it's bitter cold because it's Chicago, but you've got a rich person's house to get warm in. And Buzz yells at Kevin for destroying his room, and we go to credits. Ah, very well said, Brady. Kept that nice and concise. Uh, and that rhymed. Indeed. Um, so now here's the part where we do... So, Tess, how did you like this movie? Uh, this held up really, really well. I really enjoyed rewatching this. Um, yeah, it was... I liked it so much. I was, like, I laughed, I cried. Um, I've got some interesting notes and stuff. Um, a really good script. I, I, like, I think this is honestly an A for me. It's a really good movie, like, at, at its core. There's a lot that's really good about it. Um, Macaulay Culkin being, in fact, the weakest link. <laughs> you know, it's got, like, Joe Pesci and, uh, and what's her name? <laughs> Catherine O'Hara? Her Catherine name is Daniel Stern, and he's a Catherine fine actor. Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, no, it was, good, like, really good, a really solid script, very nicely paced. Um, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, it's like an A. I really enjoyed rewatching this. B-b-b-Brady? Uh, yeah, no, I, I really like this, too. I mean, I know in the time that it came <laughs> out uh, was, and not that this has even gone away, but uh, the issue of, like, portrayals of violence in the media was a big thing, and I think that kind of overwhelmed the reception of it. Uh, I, I can't go as high as Tess. I mean, I th- but I, this thing impresses me because, like, it shouldn't work as well as it does. Mm. Like, because like, I don't even know what its message is. It, like, it doesn't really, it's like a kid gets left at home, and then, like, straight up butchers some <laughs> lovable burglars. And yet, yeah. somehow, all of that, like, actually has time for character beats and actually hangs together as a story. So, like, I think it almost works in spite of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm going to say that's probably because John Hughes, the writer who gave us movies like 16 Candles and Ferris Bueller, uh, knows how to uh, write. That's him. Knows how to write, like, high concept comedy yeah. while keeping it pretty human. And, you know, I don't know if it's on the level of those movies, but, like, he knows how to keep this human, like going all the way back to, you know, the opening sequence with the chaos. Like that all feels very human and not just manic for manic sake. And so, yeah, like it's it's way more care and attention than you'd normally see put into this kind of a thing. And certainly by today's standards, when the marketplace is flooded with kind of over the top comedy, uh, it's almost like a super rarity. And so for that, you know, I have to give it major props. And yeah, it's really enjoyable to watch and quotable. So, how about I go with the B plus? Hey, Grandy, what's your uh, what's your feeling on this? Uh, I thought it was uh, still a really good movie. Uh, I haven't seen it in a really long time, but like Tess said, it stood up really well. Um, and I'm definitely up there in the A range as well. Okay, uh, I'm gonna give this movie an A minus. I really like how it fits together. It doesn't try to do too much. It basically mm-hmm. just organizes the, the film into a series of three-minute skits, just three-minute things, and each one advances the plot a little bit, and it yep. calls back. either It either exists to be called back to or it calls back to a previous one. And it's pretty much just, it's, it's what we were talking about when we were going to um, My Cousin Vinny, right? It's one of those perfect 90s movies where you got an act one where 
Basically, everything's laid out, and uh, there are little tiny details. Uh, act two is, you know, the escalation of the stakes and the motivations of the characters are all put in play. And act three calls back to all the little individual details in act one, and then we get a resolution and a falling action over the course of the last five or ten minutes, which is perfect. I mean, that's... There's this thing about 90s movies, and they were... Wait, yeah, yeah, okay, it's hackneyed, and it's like... Oh, it's the same formula over and over again. But when you're going to go see a kid who's been locked home alone in a house, that's the movie you're going to go see. You kind of want that formula. You want that, you know, just cohesiveness to it. If you're going to go watch uh, an action movie, you want that formula. We did Die Hard last Christmas. We're doing this for this Christmas. They're kind of the same movie as They're I think the Tess. same said. movie, yeah. Yeah, same so, thing. I mean... Basically, you want that when you're watching like a genre flick that isn't like a totally like it's not a art house darling. It's not a mm -hmm. it, it's it's meant to make money. Uh, it had a, a highly underrated score by John Williams, as we said. Yeah. And that's why we chose to play that totally. thing. Yeah, the score music is really the music good. is really good. Actually, I'd like to mm. uh, if. You know, Emily happens to come home while we're doing this cast. I'm going to have her just chime in because she loves John Williams and collects all of John Williams that she can on vinyl. Um, anyway, yes, just very well put together. Like, not a not a dull moment in the thing. Not a moment that mm -hmm. I was just like, I wish I wasn't seeing this right, right. now. None of that. Just, like, totally enjoyable Pure all joy. the way through. And, <laughs> you know, like, even though that... <laughs> like... I overdid this movie when I was a kid. I, we mm. saw it over and over mm -hmm. again. On on, we rented it. Like this was before you would buy videos because it was too expensive. It was like thirty bucks to buy a video when they first came out, and so you, you know, go rent it from Blockbuster or whatever. From well, the, the take local one video. video. The, lake, the, the local, local video, video store. Yeah, before there were chains. So I mean, we overdid this, and I was thinking I was going to be like, yeah, 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 and then I went like, nope, I love all this. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love all that. So, uh, anyway, I think it's now time to go to, uh, what's it all about? Oh, God. What? Uh, oh, God? No, like, what Why don't you start, it? Tess? Well, okay, there, it's about a lot of stuff. Um, but the fact that it's about a lot of stuff doesn't really detract from it. Because, you know, at face value, when you're a kid, it's about this kid who has free range of his house and is trying to, like you know, live alone and then gets to fuck with some burglars and defend his house. And, you know, that's that's really awesome. Like, face value, it's about Christmas. It's about the Christmas spirit. Um, it's also about, like, personal... There's a lot of personal growth that Kevin goes through, particularly in the third act. And, you know, around then, you, you start to see him kind of going... Well, he starts out... Like, the Kevinator starts out as, like, just a, the, 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 worst, the worst little shit that you have ever met. And it's like, yeah, his brother is a bigger shit, but they're both being shits. Like, they're both... This, and, and, you know, everyone is just running around this house. They don't have time to deal with this little jerk. So, like, I think as a kid, you're supposed to maybe side with Kevin a little more but but even still I think it's hard for like you know and I remember like as a kid finding I it sided particularly with per finding it particularly upsetting to have his like see this kid call his mom a jerk like oh yeah that was kind of it's like that's the kind of I mean and I think even for a kid you know you'd go well I think this guy has some learning to do <laughs> <laughs> He's got some personal growth he needs to have happen to him. So to see him go from like 
this person getting mad at his mom, blatantly calling her names because he's being punished for being a little shithead, you know, then, then to have him just like, oh, you know what? I really want my parents back. I'm trying to like learn. I, I'm trying to be a better person. You know, I've been doing a lot of thinking, Ma. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you know, know, it's good. It's good. There like, is that like later on, but you know, in the point where he's being a little shithead, I very much got the feeling of like everyone's being a dick to me and no one's noticing and it's totally unfair. So I'm going to do something to be noticed. And I, I thought his behavior was a little over the top, yeah. but I mean, like, but, you know, at least he got noticed, maybe not necessarily for like, you know, basically he wasn't noticed. And he was like, everybody in my family well, hates that's, me. That's the other thing. And so I'd rather have the negative attention than I would have no attention that's at all. The, that's, that's a really good point, Rob, actually, because the whole point, the whole reason he gets left at home is because nobody fucking notices him. Everybody, right. like, everybody is ignoring him. He gets mistaken for the neighbor kid because nobody gives a crap if Kevin is there. They're not like, you know, Sally, Johnny, Kevin. They're just like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, Kevin, 11. Like, that's fine. Yeah, so the one side so, of that dialectic is nobody gives a shit about you. The other side of the dialectic is maybe if you were a better person or being less of a shithead, people would care more about whether or not you were right, here. Right, right. And he is a little jerk. I mean, he is a, he's objectively right. and a and jerk. It, so it's it's like a wait of a question not, yeah. between cause and effect. Is he exactly. a little jerk because everyone's ignoring him, or is he a little, or is everybody ignoring him because he's, he's a, little, a jerk? little jerk? But it, it could be either way. And it seems like it's both. Like you get kind, you right, do it's get a dialectic that's nice. Yeah, to you get you get, and it that's part of what makes it a good script, I think, too, because like you know, no, it's not like it's not like a fucking raw doll book where every adult and every person around him is a little asshole except for one person. Like, th that's not what it's like. Like, the mother is very sympathetic. Most of the characters are, you know, not just there to make Kevin look like he's being mistreated. Kevin is also being an asshole. This is just an entire... The McAllisters are all jerks. Ooh, ooh. There's also the whole thing <laughs> that, like, whenever he has his fear of the attic or his fear of the furnace or mm -hmm. something, we see it, like, literally manifested in, mm -hmm. in the plot of the film. Like... It's literally manifested. It's not just like he looks at the furnace and he goes, oh. Yeah. It's like the furnace actually Has gets evil and blah, blah, of, blah. Yeah. So then you also get this thing of like when his mom makes him sleep in the attic or when because we have that identification with his viewpoint so strongly, it almost seems unfair to be like, I know you're afraid of the attic and that you don't like it and I'm putting yeah. you up there. But then, you know, on his mom's point of view, which isn't really represented in like the way it's framed and shot in the film and the way the effects are. It, it's I'm not putting you up there to scare you. I'm putting you up there to isolate you from the rest of us because you're being a little jerk. Mm -hmm. Well, he's not afraid of the attic, though. He's afraid of the basement. I don't know. Well, he says it's scary up there. He, oh, oh, he does. He oh, does okay. say he's, that. They so don't. Yeah. But they don't show it in the same way. No, they show no, they the don't. Furnace. They don't. Well, but I mean, they do show him looking around the attic and yeah. just like it kind of being spooky. Later on, do you see the mannequins? Right. Yes. You probably do. You do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, That's what the other thing about this movie is like. Yeah, really every little thing in that act you one see, you see later. It's Chekhov's everything. Like every <laughs> right. single thing in Chekhov's this movie. Chekhov's mannequin, Chekhov's spider, yeah, Chekhov's Chek baby gun, Chekhov's. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, every single thing in this movie, if you see uh, if you saw it, stash, if you stash. see it in the first act, it will be hurting the fuck out of a burglar in the third. <laughs> exactly. It's perfect. <laughs> very yes. cohesive it's very much like uh like <laughs> my cousin Vinny. Like the mud, this gets the, so hot yeah, like. the mud the screen the grits that like all that stuff comes back in the third act it's how you do a 90s movie yeah, where yeah. you want to do a comedy or just like a genre that's very like 
well-worn and well-done. It's just like, just give the people what they expect. And you know what? You're going to have a good movie out of it. Like, yeah, it doesn't it, it's not going to be a boundary-breaking, crazy tour de force of cinematic, orgasmic actorship. It's not going to be that. It's just going to be a movie that when you watch it 20 years later, 24 years later now, you go, it's a fucking good movie, man. Well, um, and then, so I, I haven't quite said what I think it's all about yet, but I think it's, you know, it's about Christmas cheer, and um, <laughs> there's a lot of, like, element about family that goes into this, like, just at face value, a really silly story about a kid fucking up adults, like, um, but it, it has a, it has so much heart, like, there's a lot of heart in this movie, and it makes it really, like, fun to rewatch, and um, you know, fun in different ways for an adult. Like, I can see why this movie did really well because it's it also is potentially fun for, like, the parents watching it with the kids where they're like, yeah, this isn't just, like, Richie Rich. This is, there's something going on here that's, you know, actually kind of interesting and intriguing and it draws you in. And, um, yeah, I, I don't, to, to be honest, I'm not sure I know what it's all about. It's, it's a really simple story. Um, in so many ways, but it's about Kevin's coming of age, sorta, I guess. That's it. And it's Christmas. Merry Christmas, Carol of the Bells. <laughs> Brady? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think, uh, <laughs> I like, I, I, I don't know how much I agree, but I like that we proposed the theory of this movie is like the Rashomon of is this kid a shit or not? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, no, what, what's it about? Um, okay, well, perhaps to start, I should say, uh, in praise of this movie, kind of the bad thing it could have been. There's an awful, terrible movie from sort of around the same time called Blank Check. <gasps> You're uh, right. And I was just thinking about Blank Check. I'm going to avoid the term kitty porn because it's taken, but <laughs> there's there's a certain kind of movie that's just like lifestyle pornography for children. That's just like if you didn't have any adults, like man, you did this and this, and you'd only every take McDonald's commercial yeah, ever. Fucking, yeah, it's you'd a McDonald's go kart to school, and you know, yeah, exactly. It's McWorld, um, and so that's at its worst what this movie could have become, and in a sense is. But uh, mm. where it helps itself and redeems itself and makes itself <laughs> a better movie is that it's also a movie that has consequence. So, yeah, what's it about? It's about Kevin initially waking up to it's Christmas and I'm going to get me some kitty lifestyle porn, but also learning, you know, <laughs> Can you stop some saying that. No, I won't <laughs> ever. I put lifestyle in the middle of it this time. It's <laughs> kitty lifestyle porn. Kitty lifestyle. Porn. <laughs> um, so, it, uh, but it's, you know, the movie's about him learning what adults are, to have a little more trust for adults, to see adults as multifaceted the way he sees himself. And, um, yeah, to, and he kind of learns a little bit of what's to come when he becomes an adult. So, you know, I, this isn't a movie with, like, a ton of thematic heft, but that is there, and it saves the movie it might not be super deep, but it saves, utterly saves the movie from mm -hmm. becoming what I think its critics want to say it is, which is just this violent uh, kitty lifestyle porn picture of just kid gets to do what he wants, kid brutally butchers burglars. 
it's Christmas. And I think, you know, the movie has a little more than that going on, and that's what it's about. And uh, that's very much to the movie's credit. Grandy, do you have thoughts about what this movie is about? I think the movie is about, I mean, other than just the fun joy of the whole burglary type things, is Kevin going from being, uh, I guess, misbehaving child to being left home alone where he kind of takes care of himself and is responsible and and learns that like his family really is something that uh that he misses and really does want around and i think that that's the main message of the story mm-hmm. is just that uh even though he didn't want them there once they were gone he really wanted them back and i'm rob and i'm gonna go way out on a limb here and pose that this movie has a lot more heft than uh than it would appear to have on face value. I, I'm, I'm going to go back to the dialectic that Tess and I were talking about, where is he a shitty kid because he's ignored, or is he ignored because he's a shitty kid? Now, here's the <laughs> thing. Both. It's both, but it really teaches you the lesson of, even if, you, even if it is one or the other, the solution is you being a better kid, Right? If, if you're ignored because you're a shitty kid, well, then if you were a better kid, people wouldn't ignore you so goddamn much. And, like, if uh, you're being a shitty kid because you're ignored, well, if you're a better kid, then people wouldn't ignore you God, so goddamn much. <laughs> so, I mean, like, either way. And it's also highlighted by the story, the little subplot that he has with the... Um, it's highlighted in several ways, actually. It's highlighted with the story that he has with the old man, where the old man is unsure as to whether or not he should reach out to his son because they had a disagreement way back when. And really, he says to him, you know, with his newfound experience of, you know, starting to become more grown up, starting to take more responsibility, starting to take care of himself, he says, well, but the right thing to do is go talk to your son. And he goes, like, but I'm scared. And he goes, like, yeah, but then at least you'd know. And, like, it's kind of like I'm being more grown up because then at least I know that I'm not being a shitty kid. Mm-hmm. So that it's, it's the right thing. And then there's also the mom going, am I a shitty mom? Am I a shitty mom? Mm-hmm. And Oh, my God, you're right. Yeah. And there's They're like, both having the same. Right, exactly. And then there's the John yeah. Candy character who's, al- yeah. who's also having right. the, the same oh God, conversation right. with her and saying, like, well, I mean, he's a shitty parent. I'm a shitty parent. We're all on the road, like, nine months out of the year and blah, blah, blah. Um, but why? Because we're trying to do better. We're trying to make money as a polka band to be able to support our families. One time I left my, and this is just pretty much just like, hey, I'm John Candy. Here's my, my two and a half minutes in the movie. But, um, you know, like we left our kid in a funeral parlor all day. And when he started talking again, you know, he got over it. And, and that's the whole thing. It's the thing with the old man. It's the thing with Kevin. It's the thing with, uh, the John Candy and the mom, which is like, Kids will get over it. If you think your kid's a shitty kid, they'll get past it. They will grow up. If you think that you're, everybody else is being shitty to you, if, if you just stand up and do the right thing, which you know is right, regardless of whether or not it's your fault, it will pass. These things will pass. And the, really the thing is to strive to be a better person on your own self and to not really worry so much about what the reason is that I'm being shitty or what the dialectic is. 
So anyway, that's what I think this film is about. Awesome. Oh, and then also there's the subplot of the burglars who are bad people and who yeah. are stubborn, and they are unable to stop running to the funhouse. Even when they say, wait a minute, he wants us to go downstairs and blah, yep. blah, blah. We're going to go over this wire instead. Nope, he wanted to go over the wire. It's interesting because there's two scenes where uh, Kevin feels bad. Um, one is he's running away from the criminals, and so he's afraid of them. So he hides as uh, one of the... Uh, creatures in the nativity scene out front of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, that is when he's running from the burglars. Also, there's there's him feeling bad early on before he gets to the church where he just feels like bad because he's a criminal because he's still a toothbrush. <laughs> I can't remember. I think he walks past. Oh, no, it's because it's because he had fear of the old man yeah. that he became the criminal because like he wasn't doing the right thing. He wasn't being a good person in spite of his fear. There's a thing with fear in this too, fear mm-hmm. of going downstairs in the basement and so forth. But then there's also, he goes into the church when he's lonely because uh, the church is at least two times a place of sanctuary. One when he's running from the uh, bad criminals and one when he's um, trying to find sanctuary in his loneliness, sanctuary from his loneliness. And that's when he re- meets the old man and has the conversation. But there's also a point in time where the burglars look at the church and go like, I don't want to go over there. I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to be involved with that, which... You know, if the church is the symbol of the trying to be a better person, that's why they get what they deserve in Act 3 when they mm-hmm. get all that stuff. A, because they're stubborn and they keep following down the path. And they, they keep don't realize they should be afraid. Right. They keep following down the path of being bad people because they're stubborn and they're une- they're unwilling to even re-examine their behavior, mm-hmm. basically. And they're unwilling to, if the church is sanctuary or introspection or whatever it was, even set foot anywhere near that hollow ground because of the, the morality of all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So you've got the mom, you've got the old man, you've got Kevin, and you've got the burglars, and they all represent different facets of people not, uh, you know, understanding that really the solution is always to be a better person, regardless of whether or not it's your fault that you're not being one right now. So I think that's what it's all about. And I think that's why it resonates with adults and kids. And then in general, it's just fun because it organizes itself into three to five minute skits, which don't necessarily mean that individually, but as a whole, advance a great plot line of creating mm-hmm. that and yep. the completeness of the film. Good. Mm. Yeah, it was excellent. Okay. Um, should we go do our next segment, which I believe is uh, Metacritical? All right. Are we actually doing Metacritical, or are we going to keep talking about the movie? Because I would rather keep talking about the movie. And then never go we're going to talk about the movie after Metacritical. But I'm going to forget stuff. I don't like interrupting for games. Well, but we are. Because we got to roll this through. I got hard out. Metacritical, yes. Hey everybody, 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 and welcome to Metacritical, the one where we try to guess lines of things. Here, I need to get Brady. Hey, Tess, can you grab some paper there for Brady off that pile of paper? Should have thought through the whole getting a pen thing before I... Oh, hey, I got one. If Brady can use a calligraphy pen, we're all good. I'm ashamed if I can't. Uh, 
All right, so since we started with, um, what do we start with this time through? Uh, well, we started with Home Alone, because that's the movie we did this week, right? Yep. Yes, that is true. That is the thing that we did. That is what we're doing right now. So let's start, well, let's do My Cousin Vinny for the first one. I mean, that's our other 90s movie where we kind of had this example of, of cohesiveness and, and this and that. So everybody knows how to play this game, right? We try to guess the Metacritic score of the film, and we're going to do five, and it's par up, par down, right? I can see that. Yeah, this, I'm having some issues with this, but I think it's just that it's not. got to face that backwards. That pencil's not sharpened. Angle. Brady can't Beautiful. use a pen. Not a fountain pen, at least. I'm gonna get a beer. Alright, well then if we're gonna do that, we might as well break. Wait, wait, yeah. I think everybody should stay sitting. Can you get me a beer? I want that. asking for a break. I was asking for a beer while you were up. Nay, she doesn't want to take a break. Alright, Brady, there's a marker. If you can't write with that, you're a dumb shit. <laughs> okay, so my cousin Vinny. Tess, what um, do you think my cousin Vinny ranked on Metacritic? 75. Brady? Um, 68. Randy? I'll give it a 72. I'm going to go 78. Okay, my cousin, Vinny. It's probably not on there. Yeah, it might not be. Yeah, some bitch. That really should be, actually. I feel like that's a movie that holds up and gets... It's not? No, it's not in there. Huh. It's too old. Too old. All right, well, let's go with something else, Joe Pesci. Christmas movies. Okay, yeah, let's go with Christmas movies. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas? No, Brady. I, I'm surprised if that's in there, too, honestly. Oh, uh, yeah. You gotta think 20 Christmas century. Story? That's real. That's the 80s. Yeah, I know, but I bet you it's in there. Uh, 50. Die Hard? Die Hard. Right, we'll, we'll, get to, we'll do Christ, Die Hard next. Christmas but Story. 50. Christmas Story. 50, 50. tests. 50. It's a great movie. No, um, it's not. It is. Uh, 75. Randy? 70. I'm going to try and take a, a, a quick lead here and go 90. Christmas Story. 77. Ooh. Oh, nice, Brady. Yeah. Fuck you. But look at all these hundreds, hundreds, 10, 10, 9, 9. Oh, man. I'm really surprised that this got brought down that low. There's only a 50, a 60, a 60, and a 5, a 75, and then the rest is all 80% or above. So hmm. I don't really understand how that uh, worked out, but it did somehow. It's not really that good. Through the math. Yeah, I know, but I just thought critics would consider it that good, and that, that was the critics way it was Critics do rolled. consider it good. Uh, 77 is high. Yeah, no, 77 is high. I was looking for a really high score to make some... But because, I mean, if I look at this, 100, 100, 10, 10, like... 
you know. It's a great comedy. Right, yeah, but look at all these ratings right here. I figured this would average out to pretty damn good. Um, anyway, uh, Die Hard, next one. 50. 50 from Tess. I'm going to go 75. Grandy. I'll go 80. 82 from me. For me. Die right. Hard, 70. Flat. Damn. Damn. Brutal. Die Hard 2? Oh, okay. It looked like 87 for a second. I was going to be like, huh? <laughs> How did Hick get higher? 67. All right. So what else we got going? What else we got going? Christmas movies. You don't think Nightmare Before Christmas would be in there? All right. How about Bad Santa? 50. <laughs> Bad Santa, 70. 70 from Brady. Grandy? Uh, 68. All right, I'm going to go with a 55 for Bad Santa. Bad Santa. Searching 70. Really? What? Oh, holy smokes. That's a good movie. I guess so. I've never really seen it straight up all the way through or anything like that. <laughs> that was really funny. Billy Bob always does a good Who's job. Who's kicking their mic? That might have been me, sorry. Stop it. I can only put one marker every so few many things. Grandy's doing well, too. All righty, right, 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 right. Do we got another uh, Christmas movie? Uh, Gremlins. Elf. Oh, Elf. Elf's a good one. Gremlins probably isn't in here. All right, Tess, what do you think for Elf? 99. 99. Is this our fourth? <laughs> this is four, yeah. Um, I'll go sixty-seven. All right, Grandy. Seventy-seven. Damn, I'm trying to make up points on y'all, but your guys are guessing so well that it's really going to be difficult. I'm not. I'm give it a flat eighty. And the answer is sixty-four. Damn, Grandy. Nice job. I was pretty close. Yeah, you Brady, said 67, right? Pretty whooped me. I said 67. Me. Oh, okay. I said 77. Oh, I see. Well, there are a lot of sevens floating around in a six, which isn't far off. Mm. Okay, so is that four, Brady? Yep. One All more. right, so why don't you tally that? Let's know where we're at, what we got to make up in this. Uh, All right, talk amongst yourselves for a second. We are talking amongst ourselves. We're doing that all the time. I mean, that's just Keep kind of it. what a podcast is. Do, 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 do. Do, do, do. Still remember what you want to talk about, Tess? Sure. Sure. <laughs> Surprising. Said you'd forget. Still want a beer? Yes. Well, we're almost done with this, so, I mean... Then beers can be had by okay. you. All right. I will read off the scores. All right. <laughs> um, Tess is in last with a negative 102. <laughs> Ooh. You could still take it, Tess. Uh, Rob is third with negative 56. Grandy is second with negative 32. And I lead with a negative 10. Fuck you. <laughs> You're doing bad this time compared to how you normally do. Yeah, Brady. right. Okay, I'm going to go with Keep Nightmare Before fight. Christmas on the off chance that it is in there so that the low score can make Brady feel bad. 
102. Brady? 85. 85. <laughs> Tez bet the number of points she has. Grandy, what do you think uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is? 75. I'm going to go with 68 just to actually give myself a fighting chance if it is exactly a 68. Sixty. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> Those are video Those games. Those are video right games. There. Those are video games. Yeah, it doesn't actually have it, does it? Do they have White Christmas? Do they have the Santa Claus? Okay, let's go with um, uh, uh, fucking It's a Wonderful Life. It's got to be in there, right? It's a classic. It is a classic. Maybe it got re-released. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. The Blu-ray. Let's rate the Blu-ray of It's a Wonderful Life, which is higher quality than the original. Okay, let's do medium. Let's do that. You can leave my score how it is. 102 for 102 for Tess. For <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brady? Um, I'm going to go 90. Good gosh. Grandy? I'll go with a 68. 68, he says. Uh, Brady went 90. I'm short of him by 46 points. So that means I need to go 23 below him to tie. So I'll go 22 below him, which is 68. <laughs> That's Grandy's score. Oh, well, we can guess the same thing if we want. That'd just make you beat me, not Grandy. Right. That's true. But I'm really only Trying interested beat in beating him. <laughs> 81. Boom. <laughs> Wait, what score did you actually do? I said 68. Oh, yeah, okay. All right, so uh, what's the what's the tally there, Brady? Okay. Grandy and I both lose 24 points. Or, I mean, uh, 13. 13. 13 points. Okay, one sec. So you need to add 13 to two of them and 102 to the other and then leave. <laughs> I know. What's the score again? 81? Yeah. Okay, I have to do tests. Uh, <laughs> 23. Okay, I have the scores. Tess has a negative 123. Uh, Rob, you have negative 69. Grandy has negative 45. <laughs> and I have a negative 19. So Good I, job, honey. I ween. Victory is yours. Brady went to Metacritical. I want to give you. Fuck you. <laughs> All right, everybody, everybody. We're back with, uh, I have to face this way. More thoughts on Carnivorous Couch. Um, sorry, it's a little, little bit laggy and blah, blah, blah here, even though that'll probably get cut out. I'm experimenting with just doing this on the fly real quick real quick real quick uh we're gonna take a little break and uh we'll be right back after we pee and beverage up and whatnot we're gonna talk about uh, individual scenes from this movie and what we think they mean and what we think they're about hell yeah all right hey. everybody everybody we're back that was uh excellent round of understudy <laughs> Wait, is that where we're gonna no. go no no we're gonna have thoughts and then oh right we did metacritical Oh, yeah, no, that was an excellent round of Metacritical. There we go. <laughs> uh, we literally did it this time, and I still, I, like, a lot of times we record those later on. 
But I kind of like this do the flow, do the flow thing. We did take a break, though, so you know that's what happens. Anyway, uh, we wanted to talk about some more scenes. Uh, Tess wanted to talk about that scene in the yeah. church, right? Well, I wanted no, to talk uh, about both. No, juxtapose that with yeah. the... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So one of the one of the moments that I really liked and was like kind of almost spellbound by it um, is he goes uh, he goes to this little um, you know elf shack thing that's been put up that's basically like a mall Santa but it's in his you know neighborhood so he doesn't have to go to the mall there's this little you know they're just closing there's a woman dressed as an elf locking up shop and he goes you know what. Uh, I'd like to. I'd like to talk to Santa if it's not too late. And right, he's still. Like, he's, a, he's acting like a boy yeah. at this point, right? And uh, he's, you know, he goes out to meet the Santa as he's, you know, trying to get in his car and he's smoking a cigarette. He's got his like beard pulled down and totally doesn't look like a Santa. And uh, you know, the Kevster goes up and is just like, "Hey, I really would like to talk to you. I know you're not the real Santa." Um, you, but you work for him, you know, I got this shit nailed down and then tries to tell him, you know, I don't want anything for Christmas. I don't want any like cool stuff. I just want my family back. And the, the guy kind of just is really, you know, lousy fair about it. Doesn't give a crap is like, yeah, okay, that's fine. You know, this doesn't put up any red flags for the guy. <laughs> right. He's, you know, he's like, sure. Okay. Oh, whatever. I got, ate. I got a party to get to kid, you know, and, and has this like really ingenuine moment. Well, yeah, but he could be saying that like, you, you know, the guy might've looked at it as like, Oh, his parents are getting divorced or, you know, any, any number whatever. of normal things that happen <laughs> that could devastate a child. But Nobody's he didn't seem to have much empathy or sympathy for the yeah, kid. Yeah, he had no sympathy for the kid and, you know, then gets in his, well, you know, shitty car and drives I away. I disagree with that, actually. Uh, I don't think he did. And, and this is, like, kind of another sort of area throughout the movie where I think there's more care than you'd normally get. You get, like, fleeting moments of, you know, the, the adults, like, actually being aware. You get the cashier lady. Who mm -hmm. kind of like actually reacts to him when he talks, and I think we get a moment with the Santa where like you see kind of a wince go over his face, like oh shit, that's heavy. <laughs> like what am I? Oh my god, I'm dealing with like an orphan or something, and I'm just like mm -hmm. some schlub trying to get home. Like yeah. he's okay. trying to go what to a party. You, I what think. do you do? Here, have some Tic Tacs. Sorry, yeah, kid. Give I some can't Tic Tacs. Like they took yeah. all my candy canes. But yeah, give some. Yeah, he does give him some Tic Tacs, but I, I feel like you know that. Com comparatively and you know that's a really ingenuous moment and he's well, looking yeah and it breaks the boundary of his role too yeah it's, it's like he's still looking at it from a childlike yeah. point of view like i know you're one of santa's workers right right so he's still a child in in that sense and this guy's an adult knowing that he's not spoiler that. full podcast by the way santa doesn't exist <laughs> <and> <laughs> no <laughs> Wait, did nice kevin job, believe in santa that whole movie Yes. He Did he ever yeah. say that he didn't? No. He no. believes in Santa. He mm. just he just knows that it, it how it works. He's one yeah. of Santa's workers. Yeah, because yeah. that's what they tell that's you. You know, like right. you, if you question a mall Santa, he'll be like, "But I work for him." You know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know the deal. Um. So anyway, then after that, he goes to the this church where they're singing. You know, there's a choir singing their rehearsal, and um, sitting. You know, in one of the what do you call it a pew i don't know yeah sitting pew. in a pew next like across the aisle from him is the uh the shovel guy that everybody you know shuns and makes up stories about how he's a murderer because he's weird and nobody in the neighborhood likes him and um you know he's a recluse and a loner and that's that's weird to people 
I guess. Um, so, you know, he, he sees Kevin and he gets up and, you know, asks if he can sit down and there's this really nice looming shot where Kevin's kind of terrified and the shot is from the guy's very tall perspective and yeah. like looking to, and high he's angle. like, right. yeah, high, and a really nice high angle shot that's like terrifying. Right. <laughs> and Kevin is terrified and then like, you know, he wishes him a Merry Christmas and Kevin kind of blanches and goes, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> so that was like a really nice moment from Macaulay Culkin there. Um, you know, and then they sit down and they, they start to talk and. One of the, the things that immediately comes up is, you know, Kevin divulges that he hasn't been the best kid and the guy automatically goes, nope, you haven't, like, and then knows. And wh right. what He's I immediately... He's the neighbor. He's been watching him the whole time. But what I immediately yeah. read from that was, you know, juxtaposed with that scene with the mall Santa is that, you know, there there's almost this, like, Kris Kringle type of vibe from him that that you get where you know he kind of knows that he's been naughty you know yeah and he's been watching and like you don't there's nothing in the movie that that indicates that like oh yeah he's been working for santa no he's just a guy um but i thought that was like a really nice moment that sort of puts him in that role yeah puts him in the role that he was that kevin had been looking for um when he went to talk to the mall santa um, so I, I thought that that was a really nice juxtaposition and I know you guys have a lot of stuff to say about this scene also. So I'm just kind of, kind of leave it there having led into that with that juxtaposition. Now, mm. Kevin, have you been too much of a little ass shit to get that remote control <laughs> car? Yes, I have. But Santa Claus is going to not let Joe Pesci gnaw off your fingers. Okay. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I thank you, Santa Claus. <laughs> you have your snow shovel to hit him in the head. Oh, my name is Adam Sandler, and I'm a little boy on Christmas. Oh, but I'm Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so anyway, um, another thing that you brought up outside, which when we were talking about the, the church is this form of sanctuary, this form of, of introspection, is this form of being able to look at yourself. Like, this is what happens with the churches. He's able to look at himself as, as a good person mm -hmm. because of the sanctuary of, like, self self-reflective thought i suppose but you don't Prayer. see a cross yeah no but you don't see a <laughs> cross you don't you see a lot of christmas imagery mm -hmm. the movie itself Nativity is about christmas scenes. wanting to be with your family wanting to get back to your son wanting to uh reconcile with your son so that uh you're um you can spend time with your granddaughter but it's not about religion it's about about what christmas means in in terms of an activity as in terms of a, a representation of family life you know, just the same thing he says mm -hmm. to the the Santa. He says it to Santa. I just want my family back, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then we also went off on a tangent about the juxtaposition of the second iteration of this movie, Lost in New York, where uh, it's it's very much more commercial. He has a credit card. He's mm -hmm. buying these things. There's a toy in that that actually you can go buy um, yep. that he uses to play. Like you know. That that movie was about the commercialism of Christmas in 1994, probably when it came out, or maybe 1992 Five. when it came out. How old was he in that? Like 12? I don't know. He was older. But not that much. He was like 10. Yeah, no. no. But basically it was about, you know, reducing the same thing to make more money, and it very much showed in, in the film. Yep. This was written by John Hughes and was a lot more based on the sentimentality of Christmas and the, the story. And, like, each little interchange is... Its own little vignette, maybe, that builds to a larger picture. 
Oh, and there's something else I wanted to talk about, and I don't want to get too far away from the scene in the church with, um, God, what was the character's name? I keep calling him Shovel Guy. Um, Murray? No. <laughs> no. Marley. 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 Bob Marley. Oh, my God, Marley. Right, yeah. <laughs> like what? Jake, Jacob Marley. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why he tells Kevin to lively up himself. Um, but yeah. Bob Marley joke. Well, can do you all want to talk about that scene some more? No, you were, I was thinking you were more like like good points. Marley as in the ghost from uh, yeah, a Christmas Carol. Yeah, from a Christmas Carol. Carol. That's what. That's exactly. what it, I'm joking. Yes. Oh, you're yeah. joking yes. about Bob Marley, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wait, you weren't serious about Bob Marley? That wasn't. I am always serious? deadly serious <laughs> about Bob Marley. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you for suggesting otherwise. Sorry. Uh. What were you saying that we should talk about? That, that? you should talk about because you you had some interesting points on the deck about the scene where he you know discusses fear and oh, that right. kind of stuff with the with the uh, Marley in the church. Well, I, I think I did discuss that and what's it all about, but it was about um, you know like this element of eh, shit. What the fuck did I say? Uh, good. Yeah. No. I mean, but basically, the idea that he'd been watching the whole time—that he. Uh, oh yeah, that's what it was. Well, that was. Is yeah. uh, Kevin starts mm. to better himself as mm-hmm. as the movie goes on. He starts to kind of understand that he's responsible for the way his family treated them, and starts to say, "I need to take care of the house. This is my house. I need to protect it from the burglars who I know are coming, and so forth and so on." And and that sort of transformation that he undertakes on his own is what leads him to dispense the good advice to Marley, which mm-hmm. is to go and reconcile with your son. Don't be afraid. Don't fear it. Because at, at least you'll know, and at least you'll be doing the thing that you need to do to be a good person. If you can't control other people, but you can't control yourself. Mm-hmm. And there was this sort of thing where, like, you kind of get the idea that after you realize he's not a spooky man who has bodies yeah. in his salt, is that he's been watching him the whole time. He knows his parents are out of town. He knows he's going through a transformation. He's And he's letting him do it. He's kind of being like the hands-off parent uh, <laughs> that he wishes possibly he could have been with his son, which made the disagreement. I mean, he stepped away from his son because they had a disagreement, and maybe he realizes the right way to do that was... To, I mean, I'm reading a lot into it here, but I think it has validity... Um, is to be more hands-off and watch Kevin go through his transformation and so forth and so on. And through that transformation, Kevin is able to give him the advice to help him heal himself. And because of that, when Kevin does get into hot water and it does become more than he, he can handle, because once again, he still is an eight-year-old boy. He knows that Santa's not, he, he knows that that's not Santa, but he still thinks it's Santa's elf. Sorry, mm-hmm. spoilers again. Um, <laughs> but because of that situation and because he's able to do that, he's, he, um, the man is is watching after him and is there to save him because yeah. he develops a connection with him and an, a, a protectiveness over him, yeah. uh, which is validated by by Kevin's transformation. Yeah, there was some some discussion we were having about fear too that I liked. Um, what? That you know he part of what he said is like, um, well, you know, there was a furnace in my oh, in my right. basement that that I was afraid of and. You know, then I confronted that fear and I realized it wasn't that scary. And even if it had been, at least I would know. And, you know, has this very like almost adult conversation with this other adult, which, you know, he doesn't get with the mall Santa, by the way, is like he's still treating him like a kid, whereas the the other guy is validating his opinions and, you know, actually like 
communicating with him like he's another person. Yeah, and because and, because he had that transformation, mm-hmm. and now he's getting the uh, the good attention as opposed to the uh, yeah, beforehand. He yeah. can only get the negative attention, right? When he's afraid that they don't care about him, when he's afraid of the basement, when he's afraid of his responsibilities, mm-hmm. he only gets the negative attention that, you know, he'll just, you know, act out because yeah. negative attention is better than no attention. Mm-hmm. But when he actually tends to grow and stop being afraid of everything, he gets the positive attention that he craves so yeah, so yeah. Dearly. Um, and then there, oh yeah, there's also the, uh, I forget how we led up to it when we were sitting on the deck talking, we probably should have just had that conversation I know, that's Mike, why I didn't want to But, um, okay. there was like the, the, uh, the fact you said that he doesn't take any credit yeah. for foiling the burglars, and he plans it all expertly, and he cleans up the house after the fact. Yeah, even and though he doesn't know his parents will be home, he still gets it you know cleaned right. up right away exactly it's my house i gotta get it cleaned up yep. I, I i have ownership of it because as far as he's concerned he made a wish and it came yeah. true that's another thing i really like about this movie which i don't think i've mentioned which is you know there's a lot of movies like liar liar or whatever where it's like i wish my dad would never lie again just for one day and then it comes true and then it comes true or something or like you know two people pee into a fountain and they accidentally switch bodies because <laughs> lightning strikes <laughs> it or something like wasn't what the there fuck like are you talking there was about? a fucking recent Reason. Yeah, that's like Jason Bateman, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you fucking shitting me? This is a thing? With the change-up. The change-up, yep. <laughs> but the I mean, piss-up. But I mean, like, basically basically <laughs> stuff like that. There's a lot of movies, like even The Mask, which is a very good movie that's very well done about, and he throws away The Mask at the end. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, we will spoil any fucking movie we, we happen to think of in passing. Um, but... <laughs> But anyway, um, you know, there's a lot of magical stuff to a lot of movies. This one's not magical, but we have the benefit of the kid thinking it is and the kid thinking that he can change it by wishing it away. Mm -hmm. But yet the thing that actually makes the changes, uh, you know, in in himself, he makes the changes in himself. And that's the actual thing that makes the changes in the perception of the family when they all come back and they go, holy shit, you went grocery shopping. Yep. Like, holy shit. Like you, you did took laundry. Care- yeah. You did laundry. You, like, and he had, that was when he had to confront the furnace by the way, is because he needed to go downstairs and wash some of his clothes. Right. Cause he didn't want people thinking he was a homeless kid. Exactly. <laughs> he needed to be able to go up the, go to the store and keep up appearances and has to go do laundry and, um, then has to confront his fear of the furnace. Wow, that was really crazy. Technology is crazy. Both on my phone and on the uh, computer there popped up saying like, hey, you're going to go to that concert in an hour. Here's the directions to how to get to where you need to. It popped wow. up on my computer in the lower left-hand corner there. I'm like, all right, yeah, that's why we had that hard out. Um, Speaking of which, can we talk about how in the 90s nobody had cell phones and they have this moment in the the airport where they they give the she gives an address book to all of her family members and says call everyone we know on their home landlines right she can't get a hold of anybody and it's just like it's so it's so bizarre and different to me to watch like not that long ago if you wanted to talk to somebody you had to call them at a room with a phone in it yeah and if, this and if is they didn't answer so insane and if they didn't answer you left a message maybe if they had a machine maybe they have a little tape device that records the stuff that you say right maybe maybe and if not maybe somebody else is home who picks up the phone and says I'll tell them you called yeah there's yeah. a little notepad and that was back in the days Man. when you could just fucking show up at somebody's house because you were dropping it like that was to come calling 
Yeah. Like like uh uh, uh Edward J Edward Jameson is calling. You know, like he's not calling on the phone. He's literally <laughs> at the door going Hello in the hall Waiting Are you there? Are you there, Mary? Yes. Mary, you are there. I mean, and that's why we, we say call on the phone. It's not because that's what that means. It's because that's what you used to say when people used to swing by your house. Hey, yeah. hey, Steve's calling. Can I also point out that you don't hang up a cell phone, but we still say hang up? I love that. Yeah. There's that. Uh, and I mean, there, there's always that like super like, it, it's sucky because when you get pissed at somebody on the phone now, like, uh, you're <laughs> you on the phone it. and <laughs> you, you can't slam it down. You have to like, well, goodbye. <laughs> Disconnect. Yeah, like, but no, am I still, I'm still recording. And, oh, God damn it. And Fuck also, you. and also we have, <laughs> I have my phone, which I repaired the screen on and I like glued it in place, but it's slightly off. So it's covering the little sensor that tells if it's up to your ear or not. So oh. I have to actually literally take my phone and then like hit unlock but the screen's still blank yeah. because it thinks it's up to me. Hit home. Now pull down the drop down. Find the call <laughs> and then hit hang up. So I it's was like, crying. fuck you, dude. I'm hanging up on you now. Yeah. Eh. Home. Uh, no, did, home. Did home. I put you on speaker? Home. I think home. I put okay, you on down. speaker. <laughs> Boop. Oh, fuck. He hung up on me before I could hang up on him. <laughs> uh, anyway. Good job. Uh, do, we, <laughs> do we have uh, other thoughts or should we uh, uh, go do understudy and come back with uh, I, I have one, one other thought right. and it's it's only because when we saw um, Nightmare on Elm Street which what is that 88 what, when did that come out does anybody know I want to say 80s. 88 or 86 so not because I have a reference in time to them but just because they look similar to me and in I can't so tell many which one. ways I think that this movie could not exist without Nightmare on Elm Street. And um, one of the things that, uh, when we saw it in a film class, during this scene at the end of, of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, she basically sets a bunch of traps for this nightmare fuel that's running through her house as a corporealized form. And she puts out, like, you know, light bulbs that he steps on and, like, basically tries to fuck him up. Yeah, and it's and, really funny when Freddy gets yeah. fucked up. You're like, oh, yeah, oh, er, er. I'm going to be so, really creepy and stick my so, claw up between so your the, legs. Oh, oh, fucking light bulbs. Oh. I know, right? <laughs> and he does. And, like, she sets up all these traps for him. And, like, at one point watching that, I kind of go, it's like Home Alone. And then the our professor mentioned that somebody in the audience had said that, and I kind of had a huge crush on this professor. And I was like, he mentioned David me. Crane, you were mentioned. We will tag you on yeah. Facebook. Don't tag him. No. <laughs> 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 he wore that shirt with the, with the, the horses running on the, I, I don't know. Anyway, and he had a great lunch pail. Um, anyway, so, but, you know, and, you know, he validated that thought for me for some reason. I can't rem even remember exactly what it was. But um, the, the other connection is that uh, didn't Freddy Krueger die in a furnace or something? Yeah. Yes. That, that's how he So did. you have this furnace right. downstairs that is fucking nightmare fuel for Kevin. If that is not an homage, I don't know what the fuck is. That is clearly an homage yeah, to, no. to, to, but to I mean, Nightmare it, on Elm Street. But it's also like beyond Nightmare on Elm Street. Like I was afraid of my furnace in the basement in Ohio, and that was before Nightmare on Elm Street came out. I think it's just a typical fear of 
childhood. I think that's this why it's a nightmare is... on Elm Street, and I think that's why it's in this movie. But I think that it has its roots in the basement and the little fire-breathing Elm... demon in on the basement. Elm... Like, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street, by an extension, could... could you know, have grown out of that same idea. Exactly, like, that's what Wes I'm saying. Craven is, is smart of... enough to know what makes people afraid. He's a horror writer. Right. <laughs> um, but I think, like, there's a lot in this script that is that is a little bit of an homage to, to Nightmare on Elm Street, particularly the, you know, the, the fucking with the uh, the burglars. And the, I'd buy that. That. Little, that little, those little moments of, like, the furnace being a thing that is, like, him confronting his fears. Um, so I just think that's an interesting idea and like thematically there, there are some moments that they share. Okay. So should we go do, uh, talk about what we're going to do next week? Sure. Okay. Okay. All right then. Hey everybody. That was an excellent round of understudy. Uh, let me see. What do we want to do next week? Next week would be new year's. So I'm going to go ahead and suggest 200 cigarettes. The hell is that? It's a ensemble movie from maybe 1996 or 98. It has Christina Ricci, Matt Dillon, uh, and a host of other people, and it's about a New Year's party. Wow. Um, hmm. Or like party hopping comedy? on New Year's. It's it's like a weird ensemble, just crazy party thing. I think Courtney loves in it. Like, Ew, no. Well, I mean, but it's like it's got like 19 people in it, and it's just like all their stories at different parties, and they're all party hopping, and they all cross paths and blah 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 and it, it, it's kind of like swingers but like but like about a new year's party and it, i don't know like i don't really remember it that well but i remember seeing it a bunch of times on tnt just being on during like holiday breaks when i was in in uh, high school and i'd kind of like to watch it and just fucking go what's up do right, other Tess, people have suggestions do you have a suggestion uh for New Year's specifically? No, I don't think it has to be. Yeah, just next week's podcast. Hmm. Well. I mean, it will be New Year's, so I mean, like, that's why I was picking that movie. But we don't have to watch a New Year's movie. Love Swingers actually. would be a good one to watch, actually, though. Uh, Love Actually? Yeah, that's yeah. cool. I think it might be New Year's by the time the movie ends, but I'm not sure. <laughs> it's mostly a Christmas film. Um. You know, since since it's a year, since the year is ending, I'm going to propose that we watch something from this year in anticipation of our special hmm. couple months from now. So I will throw out um, <laughs> this really interesting documentary I watched called Mana Kamana, um, and it's a uh, yeah, it's an interesting one put out by the Harvard Ethnography Lab, which made last year's Leviathan and kind of does these documentaries without any real narrative but are very observational. All right. Grandy, you got anything? Uh I kind of still think you guys should watch Southland Tales. Oh. What is that again? It's a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got that part. Right. Watch it. Dick. It's <laughs> it's uh smart it's, ass. Uh, let's say it's involved and live action. I mean, because there's some action in it. No, I mean live action. Is it not, not a cartoon. Oh yeah, it's not a cartoon. It's not a cartoon. Yeah. Uh, what? When did it come out? Uh, like the early two thousands. Where's or it mid? set? The U.S. What time period is it set in? Uh, this is a lot of 
specific questions. What this is the kind uh, of stuff that you normally like lay out. If somebody said, "What's the movie about?" you'd be like, "Well, it's set in blah blah blah, and this time, and uh, so that's why I'm well, asking you the questions because you're not doing that." <laughs> uh, I always figure you could figure all that out by watching it. Well, it's about a dog, and he's a bit of a swindler. And uh, he gets um, released from jail, and then um, hears tell of this girl who can predict the horse races. And so he tries to get in good with the horse race girl. But this is all after he um, gets killed, spoilers, and is drowned and then goes to heaven. And he's such a nasty jerk that they kick him out of heaven. And then he tries to get in with the horse race Wait, girl. that sounds like and all dogs so go to heaven. She, uh, yes. All right, not Southland Tales, though. I don't know. That one is animated. I, I, I was just guessing. That's a Don Bluth movie, isn't it? I was just telling you about the best movie ever made. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, wait. So you're suggesting Southland Tales. I'm suggesting uh, 200 Cigarettes and or Swingers. Brady's suggesting... Monica Mana. You were suggesting... All Dogs Go to Heaven, apparently. And what else were you suggesting? Uh... You suggested something <laughs> else before that. I did. I forget. Um, Do you remember no. what she suggested? No. Do I have to play back the tape? No. No. It just wasn't important enough to actually be a I'll real I'll remember suggestion. it later. I submit that mine has the funniest name with no disrespect to know. the Nepalese. I don't know. I don't really feel like doing a doc for New Year's. Hmm. I'm down to do a doc sometime, and we haven't done one on this cast, but I don't think New Year's is the appropriate time. That's just my feeling on the matter. Uh, anybody got a vote that's not for their own? Uh, Southland Tales. Yeah, I also vote for Southland Tales. Okay, I will too. Okay, Whoa. and Grandy, what's your vote? Um, I think it's like it's <laughs> Grandy's like all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> I think it's New Year's, so you should do one New Year's themed. Uh, I go for the one that Rob said. Southland Tales, it is. This is the most grandiest talk the entire podcast, and I think it's wholly framed around being a dick. He's not a uh, dick. He's not a dick, but this is this particular line of, of conversing and response that he's he's been uh, pursuing is uh, wholly central around being a dick. He's right. <laughs> he agrees. being a smartass. That's all. It's different. Oh, okay, sorry. Being a smartass. All right. I guess it's Southland Tales next week. Whoop 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 whoop. David Crane, thing song. <sighs> Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob <laughs> <laughs>